The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. All right, warm welcome, everybody. This is Scorebox. Let's get into the headlines this hour. U.S. equities finished the session higher, snapping a three-day losing streak as the Nasdaq posts its best session since April. Markets on watch for any hint of further stimulus from the ECB as the central bank uh, policymakers look to tackle weak inflation and a stronger euro. Sources tell CNBC that ByteDance is in talks with the U.S. government as the Chinese tech firm looks for ways to avoid a full sale of TikTok ahead of President Trump's deadline next week. Tiffany sues LVMH for dropping its $16 billion deal after the French government tells the luxury giant to delay the tie-up amid the threat of U.S. sanctions against products from France. Class Brexit backlash. The House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says there is no chance of a UK-US trade deal if the Good Friday Agreement is undermined, as Brussels also warning Britain against plans to break the divorce treaty. Uh, so let's start off the program by looking at this rebound in the U.S. trading session then. Let's pop up the boards and just have a look here. So what, what was going on? Was this bargain hunting for growth stocks after the three-day sell-off? If you looked at the balance between growth and value, it's clear that we did have a big jump in growth after value ultimately has outperformed its relative peer over the last three sessions. Um, some of the analysts are arguing that the fact that we've had this rebound indicates that there is still strong buying interest and people do want to participate in this market. What was clear was there was a very clear rotation away from the bond market into the equity market yesterday. But perhaps it's a little bit too early to ring the bell and say that the potential volatility and downside is over at this stage. But what was very clear, Karen, is people were willing to go back into tech yesterday. Absolutely. Microsoft was the one that led the charge for the three major indices. If you take a look at the size of the gains, but some of this down to suggestions from Morgan Stanley that there may be a dividend hike coming for that company. Typically, uh, apparently in mid-September, it does reveal some hikes in those payouts to shareholders. So Microsoft certainly on the move in session, up more than 4%. Alphabet, the owner of Google, bouncing, uh, Google bouncing decently. Amazon uh, rallying Netflix, although still showing just a little bit of weakness. Facebook uh, up almost 1%, but not quite recovering the extent of the sell-off that we saw a day earlier. A very vicious sell-off, don't forget, that we faced in these big technology names. But uh, this is fairly typical that you do see a little bit of a healthy correction after a very strong run-up in tech stocks. Steve? Yeah, uh, it says here, Adlib Tesla. Uh, Tesla, I believe, is a stock which is trading at 913 times uh, trailing P.E., so stock that falls 21% one day is suddenly worth 11% more the next day. I don't really know what else to say about it, really. There is no point in me trying to talk about fundamentals or valuations. Uh, I might start talking about roulette, Karen and Jeff, as well, because it's a better description of what's going on at Tesla. I understand the sales at Tesla projections were the same two days ago as they are now. So nothing underlying fundamentally different about this company, uh, apart from the fact that $82 billion was lost uh, and then over $40 billion was put on the stock. That, that's all I have to say.
Brilliant. Uh, well, let's move on. Speaking to CNBC, billionaire hedge fund investor Stanley Druckenmiller issued a stark warning over the market volatility. Right now, we're in a, an absolute raging mania. Um, we've got commentators on your network encouraging companies to do stock splits. Uh, companies then go up 50 percent, 30, 40 percent. Big market cap companies on swap, stock splits. I think the merging of the Fed and the Treasury, which is effectively what's happening during COVID, um, sets a precedent that, well, we've never seen since the Fed got their independence. And uh, it's obviously creating a massive, massive raging mania in financial assets. And as you just pointed out, Joe, it has not spilled over to Main Street. Uh, Stanley Druckenmiller, the uh, legend that is Stanley Druckenmiller with his comments on potential market volatility. Steve, let me chuck this into the ring because um, I think we can say a little bit more and the little bit more is effectively around the price action. We know that we've had the SoftBank whale story, the whole issue of whether these markets have been artificially inflated by uh, the call option buying of this company and maybe some other hedge funds here. So that's put this idea into a lot of investors' heads that maybe this wasn't a true market if it's taken them this long to realise that there's plenty of manipulation going on. But the price action has also, I think, flagged up the fact that Tesla can witness very big pullback days. And that was the biggest percentage drop ever that we saw in Tesla over the three days. Okay, we've had a rebound here, but suddenly we've introduced that old-fashioned idea of a little bit of uh, moral hazard in your trade. The prospect that your technology stocks are not a one-way story to a parabolic, uh, um, uh, happy, uh, you know, bright outlook of never-ending markets that go up. In fact, you can have big setback days. And the fact that we've pushed the Nasdaq back into correction territory before this rebound, I think does change the way many investors, perhaps mostly retail investors, but how those investors will have to think about the opportunity set in technology over the medium term now. I was just going through some uh, research from DataTrek and uh, effectively they're talking about one of the biggest issues for technology now is not so much the valuations, but the earnings next year. got very difficult comparisons after this year. Uh, you've seen a fairly huge upgrade cycle. They're saying searches on Google for laptops are up about 33% this year. So trying to, to match those sort of revenues next year is going to be extraordinarily difficult, which will make it a challenge for some of these uh, tech stocks if you take a look at those comparisons. Also, just a reminder that this is very unusual behaviour in the markets, particularly for tech. And the, the rally, the extent of the rally has only happened three times in history. The other two times back in 2000 and in 2009. So this does stand out as being quite different. I would just point out on the upbeat day that we had yesterday, there were much smaller ranges that we saw. The percentage gains were clearly quite tentative. But also that came in lockstep with the fact that we had much smaller volumes 
on Wall Street. So I wonder just how much activity is taking place behind the scenes with SoftBank because those questions are still asked. Well, if they're running this hedge fund-like portfolio, who's running it? Who's actually making those decisions? Because we want clarity about whether they have enough expertise, whether they should be involved in the markets. Like if we're putting money with another star manager, we want to know what that looks like. We want the detail. So perhaps it's caused a little bit of a pause in some of that buying out there while the heat is on SoftBank to come up with answers, Steve. Yeah, let, let me do a Bob Parker. I've got about eight points here. Um, bless Bob, but he's a great man. Right, one, Jeffrey, derivative trading is not manipulation uh, if done correctly and in an open way. But the fact of the matter is uh, it is being done by a lot of people who haven't got a clue what they are doing. There you go, I said it. Because if they did have a clue and they were investors, they would know that options at expiry are stunningly binary, i.e. they are worth one, i.e. you have the whole underlying stock which is delivered, or two, they are worth zero. Now, at the moment... When you're trading out the money or at the money options, they have a delta. If they're at the money, just for your education, they're about 50% of the underlying stock. If they're in the money, that goes up. If they're out the money, that goes down. If nothing happens and volatility does not move, i.e. Vega does not go up, then options will lose value over time because listed options or, or specialized uh, OTC options, uh, they will always lose time because they are time sensitive instruments. Normally you have them on a three, six, nine month cycle for the futures or less than that for individual stocks options and individual index options as well. So if you are buying calls, you need the stock or the underlying instrument to go up aggressively in order to make your money or you need volatility to increase. Uh, which is the opposite trade to what many fund managers have done over the time to increase their income by shorting options. So that is the issue there. One, you mentioned moral hazard, Jeff. Well, it's not moral hazard. It's the fact that markets can go down as well as up. And there are a whole generation of people who have got no idea that markets are two-way. And I've, I wonder sometimes if CNBC exacerbates this by our rhetoric, because I, I heard a reporter this morning saying, oh, you're in the money because the market's going up. I'm like, well, not necessarily. Actually, I think there is as much good price discovery on the the downside as there is on the upside. Now, third, mispricing. This is a cracker, and I'll just do this very quickly. Have any of you out there heard of Kakao Games? No, no, I haven't either. But I have this morning, uh, and it's in South Korea, and our Asian reporters will probably cover it later. It is up on its debut, uh, the last price I saw, 160%. 160% up on its debut. The messaging apps gaming unit was how many times oversubscribed, do you think? 1,500 times oversubscribed with retail investors absolutely desperate to get hold of a slice of Kakao Games, which is up 160% on its debut. So I asked the question here, A, are the underwriters incompetent and not knowing how to price it? Did they have uh, an appalling book build? Was the roadshow completely opaque? They had no idea what was going on. Or B, have they priced this to create froth in the market. It has to be one or t'other. Either they're incompetent and got their pricing completely wrong, or that actually they've created froth in the market for some other reason, which is to create a feel-good factor around this stock as well. If a stock can be 1,500 times oversubscribed and trade up 160% on its debut, something's not quite right in this market, is it? And maybe we'll circle back to those comments I made to Vittorio Constancio yesterday about bubbles being created in the market. There you go. I've said it. Steve, we'll come back to um, the IPO story because I think it's fascinating what's happening there. And, um, you know, some might say, well, you sort of counterpoint Yum China with Kakao and say the market's being rational because it's um, clearly overvaluing growth at this point and perhaps undervaluing value, which is what those two companies represent. But we'll circle back and we're going to talk more about the IPO story because I think 
it uh, raises some fascinating questions, not only about the uh, search for capital at the moment, but where we're seeing these IPOs take place. We're also going to get more insight into the US economy later today when our colleagues stateside speak to former Fed Chair Alan Greenspan. That exclusive interview coming up at 16.30 CT. How appropriate the man who coined the phrase irrational exuberance. Exactly. We'll see what he thinks of this uh, tech boom. No doubt he'll be asked the question. Opening calls in Europe this morning. Let's take a look. Uh, you can see slightly weaker for the UK stock market, but inclined positive for the DAX, slightly lower for the French market and uh, positive for the Italian market. So the takeaway message, a little bit choppy across the board is what we're witnessing on the back of what was a strong day here in Europe yesterday. Across the board, we rallied about 1.6%. The Asian markets in the trading session today also slightly mixed with Shenzhen showing just a little bit of weakness in the session, but we are stronger for the Japanese stock market, for Shanghai stocks, and just slightly ahead on that Hong Kong market. Well, CNBC has learned that ByteDance is in talks with the U.S. government over ways it can avoid a full sale of TikTok. Uh, let's get to Arjun for more. Arjun, we're ticking down to the deadline to sell that U.S. operation of TikTok, according to the, the president's directive. What's the latest behind the scenes in terms of negotiations to avoid this sale? Well, it appears, uh, Karen, that the uh, ByteDance looking for a way to avoid a full sale and somehow maintain, retain some of its assets over in the U.S., according to a source who spoke to our U.S. colleagues. Now, one way of doing that could be to hand over its data to be controlled by a U.S. company while still retaining some other assets. Now, what those assets might be are unclear, and it's just the latest uh, part of the discussion in a long line of potential solutions, which include TikTok selling the business without the algorithm, for example, or even selling and licensing that algorithm out. And of course, the complexity has arisen because of a move made by China at the end of last month to update an export restriction list, essentially putting a technology that appears to be related to TikTok on that list, meaning it requires a license to be exported from China to whoever the US buyer is. And that's really thrown a spanner in the works into this whole situation. So when we talk about TikTok selling and potentially retaining the assets, I think the key discussion here is around the algorithm. This is really the secret source. This is what's made TikTok a success around the world. And really, I think what companies hoping to buy this uh, business will be hoping to get along with the sell as well. And it really does raise the question, if TikTok is made to sell without this core algorithm or without any other core assets as well, what happens to its valuation, which is being floated somewhere in the region of 20 to $30 billion? What also happens to, to the appetite from the buyers? Do they want to buy this company without what is essentially the secret recipe here. So lots of questions here and that algorithm, I think, and whatever those assets might be that TikTok wants to maintain are going to be central to the discussion. Now, we're hurtling towards that September 20th deadline for a sale to be announced or at least agreed upon. Negotiations certainly getting tougher and tougher by the day. Guys, back to you. All right. Terrific, Arjun. Thank you so much for that. Still to come then, the EU is threatening legal action over a British lawmaker admitting to a potential overriding of part of the Brexit agreement uh, and breaking international law. We're, we're going to spend a bit more time on this Brexit story for the latest twists and turns in the negotiations. Plus, uh, for more on the market rebound and the ongoing discussions around TikTok, check out the Squawk Box podcast. I think it's fantastic today. 
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. The ECB's governing council will hold its policy meeting later today amid concerns a stronger euro could pull the eurozone economy deeper into deflationary territory. 118.20, where we approached this morning, a slight move to the upside. ECB President Christian Lagarde is nevertheless expected to keep rates steady and boost the emergency bond buying scheme instead. Let's get out to Annette of a more. Annette, that's the big question in the FX markets, is whether we are going to see any movement today in the back of this ECB a press conference in particular, whether the strength in the euro has been enough to change the conversation around monetary policy. Yeah, I think that's the big question here. Um, Philip Lane in Jackson Hole was saying the exchange rate matters. And that is something which uh, was kind of unheard for for a central banker for the ECB. But clearly the exchange rate matters. If you think about what it does to inflation, uh, like the imported uh, part of the inflation, it weighs on it. And also what it does to the economic recovery. The more pricey European or Eurozone goods get, the less pronounced or the less active perhaps the, the European recovery by that also inflationary trends will be subdued. The recent ECB, uh, the recent inflation reading for the month of August was really uh, a record low when it comes to core inflation. And also back in July, the ECB was not at all satisfied with the inflationary outlook. So given the commentary back in July and also back in June, Plus the recent data, some analysts are arguing it's now time to react because there's really a deflationary risk here or a risk of de-anchoring, so to say. But at the same time, of course, we are going to get um, new staff projection today. And I think that will be essential if we are seeing a severe or, or pronounced downward revision for, uh, for the inflation outlook here. We also might get even stronger words or perhaps even some tweaks to the policy outlook to the guidance. I think bold on policy action, we most likely have to wait until December when most analysts do expect, for example, an enlargement of the asset purchase program. I guess what's interesting, we should like treat that very analytically because also Philip Lane and Jackson Hole was saying there that it should be a two-staged approach. One is to fight the pandemic effects or pandemic crisis, which they are doing with the PEP. And the other one is probably even more difficult to get inflation, medium-term inflation, back to target. And that part is probably not addressed sufficiently currently. That's what he was hinting at also at his Jackson Hole speech. So I guess the PEP is, as it stands, will not be touched. But going forward, we should probably look into an enlargement of the uh, normal asset purchase program, perhaps also tweaks to their other forward guidance. One could even think about getting the inflation or the deposit rate further into negative territory. Why am I talking about the APP? It would fit neatly also 
also with more fiscal expansion because even jurisdictions like Germany are saying that next year they will enlarge their uh, debt outstanding, they will enlarge fiscal spending because it's not enough what they're doing currently to go combat the crisis and that would fit neatly with more purchases by the ECB. I guess that's what we are getting by the end of the year, Steve. Thank you very much indeed. I have on my other screen here a quote from Albert Einstein. I will do this one. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Uh, these words from uh, Albert Einstein, apparently, although other people are quoted as uh, having those quotes. I just, just happen to say that randomly. Nothing to do with more quantitative easing and buying bonds that are already trading at zero. Uh, thank you very much indeed for that, Annetta. Uh, the EU is considering legal action against the United Kingdom over the planned violation of the Brexit agreement. The bloc says it would have clear justification if the internal market bill becomes law, but could bring a case even before it is passed by Parliament. Well, Boris Johnson says the priority is to find a legal safety net to prevent a hard border in the Irish Sea, amid opposition from some in his own party. My job is to uphold the uh, integrity of the UK, but also, also to protect the Northern Irish peace process and the Good Friday Agreement. And, and to do that, we need a, a, a legal safety net to uh, protect our country against extreme or irrational interpretations of the protocol, which could lead to a border down uh, the Irish Sea in a way that I believe, and I think members around the House believe, would be prejudicial to the interests of the Good Friday Agreement and prejudicial to the interests of peace in our country. And that has to be our priority. Uh, Speaker of the House, uh, this is the US House, by the way, not the House of Commons. Uh, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, has issued a stark warning to Boris Johnson. Warnings everywhere, aren't they? Goodness me. Uh, anyway, apparently she said there would be, quote, absolutely no chance of a UK-US trade deal if the uh, Brexit... Uh, undermines uh, the Good Friday Agreement. Okay, so all looking really good, Sylvia. Or uh, is is there anything good going on at the moment, or is it just looking doom and gloom? I understand that uh, Barnier almost got pulled from the talks at one stage. They were considering it anyway. Well, the reality is that those trade talks are still ongoing here in London. And actually, yesterday, I double-checked if there's still a plan to have a press conference, the usual press conference that that, uh, uh, Michel, that sorry, Michel Barnier actually does at the end of the every round. And that is still the case. So those are still ongoing. But let's look at the legal announcements made by the UK government yesterday, uh, because there's quite a lot of important detail. So... The UK government published yesterday the so-called internal market bill that has sparked quite a lot of concerns that perhaps the UK and EU trade negotiations are uh, going to end in a no deal. And then secondly, it also announced that as of January, it will start following WTO state aid rules. If we start by looking at that second announcement that the UK government plans to follow indeed WTO state aid rules starting next year, these are very different from the current state aid rules that are actually applied right now. 
Essentially, according to the WTO, these, this framework on state aid only applies to the trade of goods, not services, and there is no pre-approval process as there is right now by going through the European Commission. And one lawyer described to me yesterday evening that it is unclear how the UK government will apply that in the context of the UK, given that this WTO framework is actually used for the trade of goods between two different countries, which is not exactly the same thing as trading goods between Scotland and England. And if we go back and look at that internal market bill that was published yesterday, essentially, the UK agreed with the EU and put into law last year that any state aid given by the UK government above a certain threshold that impacts the trade of goods between Northern Ireland and the rest of the EU needs to get approval by the European Commission. Under this internal market bill, the UK government, its ministers will in the future be able to disapply this article of the withdrawal agreement. And that, Steve, is why people are saying, and even the government itself, that this uh, internal market bill actually uh, overrides the withdrawal agreement and is not compliant with international law. And as you can understand, this is raising a lot of concerns in Brussels. We heard from different European officials yesterday, including Mario Sefcovic, he is actually the vice president of the European Commission, saying how concerned they are. And he actually called for an emergency meeting with Michael Gove. Let's take a look at some of his remarks yesterday. Rip president uh, has reacted uh, to the current situation and she clearly stated that she is uh, very concerned about the announcement from the British government on its intention to breach the withdrawal agreement because this would break the international law and undermines uh, the trust. Pacta sunt servanda means that the foundation of the prosperous future uh, relations uh, is based on how we would respect uh, the agreements which we both uh, not only agreed upon, but also signed uh, and uh, ratified. So, indeed, as far as I know, this is an uh, unprecedented uh, uh, situation. So these legal developments that we watched yesterday are happening while the eighth round of trade negotiations is still ongoing here in London. Let's see, Steve, if by tomorrow what comments both sides will make if they actually manage to achieve some sort of progress in those trade talks while we're discussing these potential changes to state aid rules here in the UK. All right, brilliant. And Sylvia, you saw your tape there. Do you know why they were all wearing wheat yesterday in Parliament? Uh, I did see it, but I didn't know the reason, actually. Well, it's it very exciting. It's back British farming day. It's nothing to do with uh, what Theresa May said she once did uh, through a uh, running through a field. Uh, no, this was back British farming day. So they all had uh, stacks of wheat, other produces available, but they decided not to go with carrots, apparently. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.